Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Good morning from Maui, Hawaii. Good afternoon to the mainland. Good evening to Europe. Today is Sunday, the 25th of September. And we're starting a new series. We'll probably do three or four of these. Today is the introduction to theosophy. Now, this free intro, this free forum is an intro to the premium training which begins about 30 minutes from now for those of you who have enrolled and we'll go into this in the premium training in a little greater depth as well as do a meditation exercise but as you probably know whether you listen to us live or to the streaming audio on our website the replay that's perpetually available after this class at theagelesswisdom.com or maybe to the podcast we do like a mini version of that here every week from 1 until about one twenty-five or so pacific time and uh, today's no different that's what we're going to do today is an intro to the introduction to theosophy and we'll do a little meditation exercise as well and then hopefully you'll be able to join us in about, well, a little bit less than 30 minutes for the premium training. And if you're already enrolled, then you've already got the location, the website URL, the address. You got that on the thank you page or in the email that I sent out. And also the password. Now, today, we're not going to have slides because of a technical issue. Uh, we will have those video slides the following week as we move into the month of October and thereafter. It's only today we won't have slides. And uh, we just don't have time to do video slides on this introduction. And uh, yet I wanted you to know about that. A lot of people listen by podcast, or, so they don't have any video. If you listen to the streaming audio, for the replay, you will get video most weeks, but not for the September 25th program. And again, that's just a technical problem that we're having this week. So hope uh, hope you understand that. Any slides I would have used, I'll use in the next program in October. As we do several weeks on theosophy, this is, uh, I think, a really interesting field. There has been for six or seven hundred years a concept in philosophy known as theosophy. And if you ever see the word theosophy with a small t, it's generally a reference to the so-called Rhineland mystics or the German mystics of the 13th and 14th centuries some going back to the uh, 13th century anyway, 14th century, 15th century, along the Rhine River in what is now Germany, this was a whole movement among Catholic mystics. This was before the Protestant Reformation, so there were no Protestants per se. And yet there were Catholic mystics who ascribed to this approach to Christian mysticism known as theosophy, at least in this area. Again, 
sometimes these men are called Rhineland mystics, Meister Eckhart, Jacob Bohm, um, Johannes Toller, uh, Jean van Roysbroek. There's a whole series of these Catholic priests and monks uh, who had more of a mystical and even metaphysical view of the teachings of Jesus than the church was really allowing or permitting. And many of these men did get into trouble, and even a few women, a few nuns, like St. Teresa of Avila in Spain and St. John of the Cross. And uh, so the church has never really uh, tolerated the mystical approach to Christianity very well. The Vatican and uh, and Rome has always been rather at odds. Indeed, much of what's known as the early Crusades in the 10th and 11th centuries, uh, right on through the 13th centuries, inquisitions were targeted at other Christians. People think of the Crusades as being when the Catholic Church in Rome went out and slaughtered the uh, Islamists, the Muslims, um, or witches, or gay people, and well, all of that's true. But they also killed other Christians, particularly the Cathars in the south of France, uh, because of their somewhat metaphysical beliefs, their beliefs, for example, in reincarnation, in the pre-existence of the soul, in the idea of God in a pantheistic sense, that everything exists as one whole universe within God, that God the Creator is not separate and is not living in a form, but is a spirit that's everywhere equally present. These are just some of the distinctions that uh, Christian mystics have had even before the Protestant Reformation uh, with the Catholic Church, the official church out of Rome. So theosophy with a small t goes all the way back to the late 1200s, and yet it was in the late 19th century, 1875 to be precise, that a Russian mystic who was living in New York State in America named Helena Petrova Blavatsky founded a group called the Theosophical Society. And so if you see the word Theosophy with a capital T, it's generally referring to the tradition of Theosophy that she began in the late 19th century in the United States, expanding to a large extent on the New Thought Movement, you know, that gave rise to Unity Church, uh, Charles Fillmore and those people out of Missouri, it gave rise to Dr. Ernest Holmes and his book Science of Mind and the Religious Science Church, also Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, came out of the New Thought Movement in the early 1800s. And Blavatsky took that and began to blend it with esoteric philosophy and Buddhism. Her organization, founded in New York State, was financed or sponsored 
at least to a large degree, by the first American to, or I'll say the first American scholar, eminent writer, to really embrace Buddhism as a philosophy. And that's a man named Henry Steele Alcott. And uh, Henry Steele Alcott put up the money that was necessary to sponsor Blavatsky, her organizational work and her meetings, and basically pay her bills while she wrote some really profound work. You may be familiar with some of Blavatsky's writings, though it's really a challenge to read Blavatsky's stuff because it appears very disorganized. Her best-known works are The Secret Doctrine, Isis Unveiled, The Voice of the Silence, and a nice little introduction, actually, to the whole field called The Key to Theosophy. By the way, there have been people who've come up through Theosophy and then spun out similar philosophical-slash-spiritual organizations. I'm thinking primarily of Rudolf Steiner, was a brilliant man who started an organization that's still involved in teaching schools all around the U.S. and, and Europe. Anthroposophy is <laughs> it's a mouthful, isn't it? Rudolf Steiner came through theosophy, broke with theosophy, and founded the anthroposophy approach to education. Very mystical, includes tarot and astrology and um, what many Christians would call occultism. Blavatsky used that word freely. Uh, Occult really means hidden. But, of course, a more fundamentalist Christian would say it's uh, magic and banned by the Bible, taboo, very bad. Uh, just like they portray witchcraft as being evil. In fact, occultists don't believe in evil. They don't see it as a force anyway, nor do Wiccans or real witches, pagans, pantheists. They they don't see evil as a force either. Uh, to most pantheists and mystics, evil is the absence of good. It's like a shadow. It... Uh, it is opposite only in terms of language, good versus evil, but there's no real opposing force. That spirit is good and expresses itself in human beings as the opportunity to be good, and human beings also have an ego, which really aligns itself with the dark side, the side that Jung called the shadow side, and that would be evil, the shadow. It's the absence of good. It's the temptation to be selfish and behave in a way that shows little or no regard for the consequences of your behavior or the impact upon other people. Uh, evil's not limited to wanting to hurt people or steal their stuff. It's just not caring. And I know that may seem like a high bar, you mean if I if I just am interested in myself and I don't care about other people, that's evil? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty much 
been the definition uh, throughout the ages. And uh, this is true in the mystical traditions, anyway, if not the fundamentalist religions per se. Remember, all religions tend to have uh, mystical branches. In uh, the Hebrew Jewish religion, it's Kabbalah and uh, the Zohar, the Book of Splendor. In Christianity, it's basically the Rosicrucians, uh, also the Masons to some degree, although they're sort of a cover for the inner circle, who would be the Rosicrucians. Also the uh, Priory of Sion and the Knights Templar, more of a mystical tradition in Christianity. The mystical Muslims, uh, mysticism in, in Islam, is Sufism. And, of course, most of the Eastern philosophies and religions are mystical by their very nature. Um, Hinduism is really not a single religion, but scores of ancient beliefs going back to the early days of Brahmanism. We've talked about this in past classes. Buddhism tends to be not a religion, but a rather mystical philosophy. Um, Confucianism, and, and particularly Taoism in China, have their mystical uh, overtones as well. And you may be saying at this point, well, what's mysticism anyway? It's been a long time since I've done a class on what is mysticism. And uh, mysticism is really a spiritual approach to understanding the self as an embodiment of the soul, which represents the perfect love of God, that the father aspect of God represents a will or an intention or a divine plan having to do with growth and development and expansion and unfoldment and such. But um, God has other qualities, including love. And it's said that the soul that every human being has is the embodiment of God's perfect love. So mystics follow a path to attempt to create a communion or personal experience of God as an energy of love in them. An alignment, or sometimes called the mystic's path, a path of least resistance, a, a road that you walk, a journey following your heart more than your mind, and developing within yourself and providing to others the qualities of love. Again, not simply as an emotional feeling, but love as in terms of the qualities of peace, um, peace of mind, inner peace, uh, wisdom, truth, respect, justice, kindness, uh, patience, compassion, forgiveness, generosity, humility. These are just some of the qualities of love as a spiritual principle and concept. And that's really what mysticism is about, connecting to the creator, the source of life, while you're still alive, 
<laughs> through prayer and meditation and fasting and study and chanting and holy reading and singing and worship and rejoicing and all these many different techniques of, of mindfulness to have a real experience. And traditionally, churches and temples and synagogues feel sort of shut out if someone who calls themselves a mystic is seeking to go directly to the source. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, we're the church. We're trying to put ourselves between you and God. And the mystic says, no, that's where the soul goes. It's the soul, the Buddha nature, the Christ consciousness, uh, the sun that uh, should be in the middle there, the heart and soul, the center between heaven and earth, between spirit and matter, between God and man. Church should serve man so that man serves his soul, so that the soul serves the source of life. Not, as the church says, the church's version is, the soul is dirty and sinful and bad and needs redemption. And so man serves the church and the church stands as this middle point between man and God. The mystic would say the church stole your soul and tried to occupy its position. That's sort of the traditional debate between the mystics of various religions and their churches, temples, synagogues that, that are more uh, literal in their interpretation of scripture, more political uh, they have armies, <laughs> you know, they fight wars, and tend to be the, uh, a whole political organ. So what Blavatsky did with the Theosophical Society is begin to blend this interest in the United States in the 1800s, this burgeoning, growing interest in spiritual healing, and spiritual phenomenology, uh, seances and psychic phenomena, telepathy and clairvoyance and psychokinesis and mediumship, and uh, along with tarot that was sort of rediscovered in the in the Reformation, 14th, 15th centuries, and blend that with esoteric philosophy and Eastern mysticism, uh, particularly Buddhism. And some would say, just very simply, uh, theosophy is Western Buddhism, like Eckhart Tolle. You know, Eckhart Tolle never talks about Buddhism, but that's what he's teaching, his power of now and his whole emphasis on the silence. And the, He just never says the word Buddha or Buddhism, but that's what he's doing. Well, that's what Blavatsky did starting in the late 1800s. Uh, in the premium training, I'm also going to talk a little bit today about uh, Krishnamurti. Now, after Blavatsky died, um, just before the turn of the century, the 1890s, about 10 or 12 years later, I think in the newsletter I said about 15 years after Blavatsky's death, the people who were the leaders of the Theosophical Society in New York, and also they had a uh, division, a branch office 
in Adyar, India, the Theosophical Society. And that was headed up by two metaphysical authors, uh, Ledbetter, Charles Ledbetter, who was the head of what he called the uh, liberal Catholic Church, <laughs> but it had nothing to do with Catholicism as Rome knows it. Right? didn't have anything to do with the Vatican's version of Christianity. Again, he was sort of blending uh, mystical Christianity with Buddhism. And then another person, a woman named Annie Besant, uh, she and uh, Charles Ledbetter were the uh, two of the top officials of the Theosophical Society, and they found this boy living just down the street from their center in Adyar, India, a uh, young boy named Jiddu Krishnamurti. And uh, they took him under their wing and they began to tutor him. They taught him English, among other things. They sent him to the finest schools in England and Europe and uh, at some point decided that he was going to be this new messiah and that they were going to, at some point, announce him as this new holy Dalai Lama type Jesus Buddha character, this Messiah of the New Age, and um, he was prepared to do that. He'd all he'd been trained and educated in all the mystical and religious traditions, the philosophies and the psychologies. Brilliant young man, and then just about uh, as they were preparing to have this coming out party for the new Messiah. He uh, he dropped out. He said, no, <laughs> I don't want to be the new Messiah. Uh, the kingdom is within. The master is within. The age of gurus is over. We'll always need teachers, and I'll be a teacher, but I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guru. Uh, follow your heart. Study, be mindful, pray, meditate, contemplate, introspect, but follow your heart. And he became known all over the world as a wonderful teacher, Krishnamurti. He lived until 1986 and lived much of his life in his beloved Ojai, California. There's still a big center there. It reminded him very much of his home in India. And his contribution is very significant in the field of education in particular and psychology as well as spiritual philosophy. And he said, basically, there has to be a revolution of the psyche, a self-initiated revolution of the mind to change the nature of human relationships and reform society. It's got to come from the inside out. And I'm sure you've heard the name uh, Krishnamurti. So with that, let's take what time we have and do a brief little guided imagery or opening focus and hopefully you'll join us in just a few minutes for the premium training. If you've not yet enrolled, uh, jump over to at any time between the classes or even during the beginning of the training. Jump over to our website, theagelesswisdom.com, and click on webinars. And then on premium training, you can sign up and you'll get the passwords and the URL in less than 60 seconds. It's real easy to do at the w's dot the ageless wisdom dot com.
click on webinars, okay? So close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. And let's just practice one of these nice two-minute meditations. Take the second and the third slow, deep breath. And uh, as you exhale, feel the letting go. And practicing these short meditations helps to remove the excuses that we don't have the time to meditate. We make the time, even if it's just a couple of minutes here, five minutes there, maybe ten minutes later on. And with your eyes closed, allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm. And put your attention on the bottom of the nose and watch your body breathe itself. And each time your body exhales, say to yourself silently, love. And the body will inhale when it's ready, and you allow that to happen automatically. It'll pause, and then as it begins to exhale, you say the word love to yourself. And do this for just another minute or so, pulling in strength and power as you inhale and identify as the love you release in a state of perfect peace as you exhale all the way, all the way out. Breathing in the prana, the chi, the Alan Vital, the Holy Spirit, and as you exhale, I am love. Breathe it out into the world and feel the love as kindness and humility and peace. And then bring this orientation with you back into the room as you bring to mind what you'll see in a moment and where you sit. And then as you inhale, hold just a moment, and now exhaling, open your eyes, wide awake, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, and feeling like you are a medium of love, bringing into the material world love and all of its many qualities. Join us if you can for the premium training at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School just a couple of minutes from now. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.